Say That, the podcast for your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. With us here is Jed Brewer. I have not been making devil noises, so I don't I don't care what anybody <laughs> says. I, it's not true. That's <laughs> all the way from Mercury, Tennessee, Lee Younger. For some reason, I'm 18 again, and I've been, I've been shuttled back to the memories of alt-rock radio from the late 1990s. Lee, where'd you get those Jankos, man? <laughs> is that a chain wallet, Matt? <laughs> yes, as the jeans continue to get wider and Gen Alpha reinvents Jankos, those of us who were there for the first round are going to be very confused. But the nice thing is you can fit your entire Game Boy in your back pocket, so that's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will now explain, after giving the listener a minute or so to just sit with, what did Jed mean by devil noises? <laughs> Jed is the resident musician, resident drummer, is the one who counts us in, so we're all synced up when we record. And he decided to do that in the style of 90s band Corn. Yeah. Corn with a backwards K. <laughs> was that is that a strikeout looking Matt? That might be. I like the idea of Corn being really big baseball fans. I like. I want to know who that overlap is. Like I really love Corn, but I also keep score when I go to the games. <laughs> There's got to be one guy, right? Oh, yeah. Yes, almost certainly. One one young man in suburban Detroit who just loves both those things equally. Loves the Tigers. Loves Corn. Never misses a game or a show. As you mentioned, you can keep the entire box score in the back pocket of your Jinkos. <laughs> you definitely, Absolutely. definitely can. I, the following is true of many hardcore baseball fans that I've known, and I think it's probably true of our crossover individual. All day I dream about stats. I mean, it's <laughs> right there. <laughs> All right. Uh, before Jed's corn <laughs> references fully leave even his co-host behind. <laughs> We should get into the show here. We've got some great questions from you fine people. We've also, before that, got what can only be described as an Indiana emergency. Oh, wow. <laughs> Dude, there's a lot of things that could happen in an Indiana emergency. That's next level. There are, and a lot wow. of them have happened to your intrepid co-hosts who have uh, shuttling back and forth between Chicago and uh, the southern states have driven through a lot of Indiana, and a lot of it could be considered an emergency. Yeah, that's fair. There's a giant billboard, and then there some of these in many Midwestern states. It says "Hell is real" right as you cross the Illinois Indiana border. And here's the thing: that's wasted money on a billboard. Uh, <laughs> the truth of that is self-evident. We know <laughs> driving through northern Indiana in the winter. Uh, but this emergency comes to us uh, courtesy of the Christian Post uh, news site, uh, and the the headline the dateline is November twenty fourth. 2023. Now I know I don't normally need to read the years, but I had to go back several times to check that this was something that was happening in the current day because it's a little retro. I'll tell you Mm. what I mean by that, by reading the headline Baptist pastor, Christian college president apologizes for allowing male speaker with long hair. Okay. A legit controversy. In the year of our Lord, 2023, was that a guy not only, uh, I'll go ahead and read the, 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 the slug here, Pastor John Wilkerson of some church, who also serves as president of some Christian college I've never heard of, apologized to church members after he was criticized for allowing a man from a local creationist group to address the church. Now, if you stopped the sentence there, 
that would actually be a sane thing to say. Sure, yes. that makes sense. A loud creationist group to speak at the church and the school. But the sentence goes on to say, while sporting hair they considered too long and quoting scripture from the NIV translation of the Bible. Oh, my goodness. That's right. 2023, we're getting angry about long hair and the NIV. This article belongs in the day of corn. <laughs> it, <laughs> okay, I just looked it up because I want to check. The NIV was released in 1978. That's yep. literally 45 years ago. Before I was born. <laughs> Before yes. the oldest person on this show was born. I have a 20-year-old daughter. <laughs> the, the NIV is, gen, is fully Gen X. It's no longer controversial. A uh, quote from the pastor. Recently, we had a creation seminar hosted here at church. With all my heart, what I wanted to do was... a. He's from Indiana, but I just feel myself slipping into a southern accent. It, With all my it. heart, what I wanted to do was educate, equip, and empower God's people to face and give the ammunition for the fallacies of evolution and humanism that permeates our society, Wilkerson said in a video post on Instagram. Though that was my goal, I grieve to tell you that I probably did not make the best decisions in many areas. I failed to scream properly what was going on to be said and, or shown in some ways. I think I hurt many people. I grieve that I embarrassed the church family, wow. he said. I think for the college students and the men and women who have sent their students here, if I send an uncertain sound, I apologize and I sincerely ask your forgiveness. I don't want to cause a distraction. I certainly don't want to be divisive. I grieve that I embarrassed us because a guy with some slightly shaggy hair read from the NIV. Wow. Wow. Man. And there, here's where this story takes a turn for the even stupider, if you can believe it. <laughs> I'm ready. One of the most prominent criticisms of the presentation made by members of the 18-year-old Indiana-based Creation Evidence Expo. <laughs> you might ask there. yourself, does the Creation Evidence Ex Expo have a website that I could go to? It sure does, creationevidenceexpo.org. Um, so here's the thing. It's about, it's about what you expect. It's a bunch of creations, not jobs, you know, um, going on. The fun thing to me is if you go to the website, you will notice that in their logo, the X in Expo is an atom logo. Like, you know, the nucleus yeah. of an atom. I don't know who this is for. Cause the whole thing of. We're going to be very, uh, we're going to be very, very scientific. Most people don't know, it says, truth in education is not, underlined, required by law. <laughs> now, from, from what I can tell, they, they mean that like, oh, the schools aren't required to teach your children the truth, which is creationism, we think. But it just sounds like something that, Certain people in Christian education would be very relieved to hear. <laughs> yeah. So we go on through this and uh, again, back to the pastor, there are times my heart breaks and this is one of those times. Wow. 
And his church invited a group of men to their church to teach on creation. Then on Monday, these same men went to this college and taught the students. These men were not Baptists and do not claim to be Baptists. In fact, one is a member of Reformed Church, and another claimed from the pulpit that he is Methodist. I don't know why one gets to be Reformed, but the other one claimed to be Methodist. (laughs) Fair. Like the Reformed guy, we just buy him on that. Mm, I don't know about the uh, Methodism. So the the funny thing to me, the turn here in the story, is that you would think uh, the person who is accused of being a long and I quote long haired hippie. That that's in the article. That's a quote. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh. A long haired hippie teaching in the pulpit is in direct contradiction to Scripture. And he quotes First Corinthians eleven fourteen, a oh, verse man. I'm sure he understands. <laughs> we're going through this uh so the the gentleman who's being accused of all this you would think he would say like well that's obviously nuts um he instead uh liddy is the gentleman's last name uh has already cut his hair to avoid causing any further offense but made it clear he did not use the niv wow so we have a twist here in the in the last act of this story where you might think that well, clearly the villain of this piece is this insane pastor, um, who's grieved that someone without a high and tight haircut got on the pulpit. But then you realize, because you know narratives are complex, and sometimes you don't have a clear hero. Uh, the guy they're mad at is also someone who's trying to make money on the Creation Expo lecture circuit. Which brings up the question: How did you think having long hair was going to go over with your intended audience? Oh, no, that's fair. That's fair. Liddy did not have any NIV scriptures in his presentation. Boyd said another presenter from his ministry did use that translation of the Bible in error, and he apologized for that. Like, look, I know I know, life is hard and you got to make a buck and whatever, but there's, there's so many other jobs than creationism grifter. If you find yourself having to be like, there's a lot of accusations that people from my organization use the NIV, and I want to be, be clear about Cre- that. Creationism Grifter is a 1984 TV show that I want to watch. Yeah. 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 That's, that's definitely on after mash. <laughs> He's going to a different town every week. Different yeah. guest star. Yeah. Oh yeah. You can already see that soft lens. Oh yeah. Uh, a pre-roll of him just walking down a, a highway with no signs. It's also one of those things. It's one of those shows that was only be on for like a week, but it would be during the football season. So the, the announcer had to during like the day game <laughs> on Fox had to pretend to be excited about it. Like, all right, folks, after the Eagles Cowboys game is over, you can check out the creation grifter. <laughs> this week, Mary Lou Henner stops by. <laughs> to discuss fossils if you got that reference please write in (laughs) so here's special guest appearance yes exactly right guest appearance by judd hirsch um so (laughs) i don't necessarily want to give the the people at the christian post a website i'm not particularly familiar with any uh any credit for anything but this is a very good point of writing i think because 
it builds to a crescendo like many yeah. great narratives do. So here's the last part of this article, which is just a block quote. Despite making apology for the controversy, the pastor Boyd added that he believed Christians should treat each other better when dealing with cultural matters. Well, that's, that's encouraging. Let's see what he has to say about that. This to me, I think is not a Christian way to handle controversy. If you have an issue with anybody, the scripture makes clear you go to your brother or sister alone. The thing of this thing of lambasting and talking about a ministry that's 18 years old is unacceptable, he said. This same David Liddy that we're trying to crucify has spoken in, and I won't mention any churches, but he's been in numerous Baptist churches, and they have said not one word about his hair, not one word. So now we're, we've got so many double standards in the Baptist faith, and I personally don't like it, he said. Getting a little weirder, but he's talking about not liking the Baptists, so, you know. Bring it home, Matt. Bring it home. Now, one more paragraph to go. Let's see. Let's hope it goes well. I think it's very ungodly <laughs> to try to crucify someone for this. We're trying to help people understand that Darwinian evolution is not true. It's racist. Darwin was a racist. Why don't we write about that? Why don't we talk about his racial attitudes for black people? Why do we spend so much time talking about somebody's hair? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's <laughs> It's as if. It's as if the cocaine was hitting his bloodstream as he was giving the quotes. <laughs> like, so this whole thing started with 18 years ago. So I said, we should start a creation expo in Indiana. And then things just got stupider from there. And you end with this, like Alex Jones meets succession. Like how, <laughs> how self-important are all these people? Like, they're crucifying the guy for talking about the NIV. Apparently, we're, the other Baptists are using the long hair criticism to not have the important discussion that Charles Darwin was racist. <laughs> Which, hey, I, I'm I'm a horrifying uh, liberal, and uh, literally every theological and political belief I have would make uh, the the pastor from this story uh, want to walk into the sea to get away from me. Um, Charles Darwin was born in 1809. Of course, he's racist. Has <laughs> he was nothing English. to do with evolution being true or not, you weirdo. <laughs> Up until like 1947, every white person who had a beaker was racist. We know it's fine. They still came, they still came up with things that wrote them down. Those were those were correct. Like Pythagoras, probably super racist, still write about triangles. It's cool. <laughs> so, yeah, I just want to reiterate, close this out by pointing out again, November 24th, 2023. <laughs> that's incredible. That's going on in the world right now. In the world you live in, there's a, Baptist controversy because a guy with long hair spoke at the creation expo. I know you were trying to get out of this, but I'd give anything to see a picture of the haircut. I guarantee you it's not that long. No. Oh dude. Yeah. I need that. I need that in my life. All right. Let me, let me do some, I can only imagine the horrifying uh, things I'm going to have to, well, when you search Liddy, the first thing you get is a song by Meek Mill. I don't think that's related. <laughs> but you know what? Wouldn't it be a bit of a plot twist if it was, if that's exactly what we're talking about right here? Now, speaking of sitcoms I would watch, what I want to see is the uh, hilarious, wacky set of circumstances 
where they booked the wrong person and Meek Mill ends up at the Indiana Creationism Expo. Man, I, I'm here for that TV show. Now that is a reality show I would watch. All right. So uh, being that podcasting is not a visual medium, we will not uh, spend your time searching for that image, though I'm sure we will all be separately Googling it while the other people are talking. So that's a good thing <laughs> for you to keep in mind as you listen to the rest of the show. With that, we will the quality really went down on some of those answers. Well, we were distracted. We were busy. I was personally looking up, is Charles Darwin racist? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Who thought? <laughs> a British guy from the 19th century? Well, I never. You don't say. So, with that, we'll move on to your fine questions. If you have a question for us, you can have this all the way to the end. I'll give you some ways you can touch this, or you can scroll down your episode description and click the links you find there. First question comes in and says, there's a lot of advice out there about how to go after what you want and let go of thing and let go of things you want. What do you do when you have no idea what you want? That's a really interesting question. And Lee, where do we start off here? So, okay. This is a really cool question. I'm glad you wrote it in. And, and by the way, the, the world doesn't leave you a lot of room to, to make that proclamation right there. The way the, the way the world, te- you know, Acts is you need to know what your track is in school very early on. As soon as you get to be a certain age, people are going to ask you, where do you want to go to college and what do you want to major in? And you have advisors breathing down your neck about all that kind of stuff. And, and so this, this concept of like, I just don't really know what I want to do yet. Um, that's a very uncomfortable place to be. Um, the other thing that I would say on this is that like, you know, quote unquote adulting, requires this really tough balance of like, there's some have tos and there are some want tos. Like I have to find a job where I can make enough money to pay rent and buy the groceries and, you know, keep the lights on and all that kind of stuff. But a a good balanced life has like fun and friends and, you know, relaxation and vacation and those kinds of things. Um, so all of that stuff Put that all into a big pile, and and what I would say to you is, if you don't know what you want right now, that's okay. So rather than saying, like, all right, let's figure out exactly how to go after the thing that you want. If you don't know what you want right now, that's okay. But let's, let me ask you this question. What are the kinds of things that you look forward to in your life, in your week? What are the kinds of things that you do that bring you some joy? What are the kinds of things that you have to put some work into, but you feel really good about who you are when you do it? Um, those would be some really great questions to start to, to start to draw a picture of what are the things that you might want to go after? Um, there, there are a lot of things that you can kind of figure out you know, and scheme and plan and set goals and stuff like that once you know what it is you want. Until we're until we've got some some certainty on that, let's just start with asking, what are some things that you like? What are some things that give you joy? What are some things that make you feel a sense of purpose? That if you help people in this way, or there's something about you that you have the ability to bring this into the situation or to the table. And when you do that, it makes you feel good about who you are. Let's start narrowing down what some of those things are. What do I enjoy? What gives me purpose? What makes me feel good about who I am? 
What gives me peace? And let's start trying to find little ways to add those things into your week. Let's start there. And as you do that and you start to figure out what it is that you enjoy doing and what it is that gives you a sense of purpose and what it is that makes you feel good about yourself, now we can start to maybe form a picture of like, this is maybe an area where I want to find some work, or this is maybe an area where I want to start aiming my life a little bit. Until then, if I'm an adult, I'm going to have to find a job where I can work a job and pay the rent and put some food on the table and that kind of stuff. But in the balance of my life, I'm starting to learn about myself that you know, I like volunteering and I like volunteering at this shelter or um, I really am enjoying, you know, um, I don't know if you guys are aware of this, like the, the sport pickleball is just exploding right now. People oh, are yeah. just oh, loving yeah. some pickleball. And maybe you find out like, I really love playing pickleball with my friends and I love volunteering at this place. And all of a sudden, before you know it, you've maybe got a, a a clearer picture of where it is you want to set your goals and where it is you want to aim at and and what a, a, a rewarding, balanced, purposeful life would look like for you because that's going to be a unique answer. And if you don't allow yourself, number one, to say, I don't know what I want yet, and then follow that up with, number two, what would it actually look like um, for me to prioritize the things that I enjoy? so that I can start to form a picture of what it is I want. I think that would be a good place to get started um, as we, you know, before we ever get to the place of how do you actually achieve your goals? Let's start by trying to figure out some ways to center in on what maybe your goals ought to be in the first place. It's a great place to start that off. And Jed, where would we take it from there? Love everything Lee said and totally agree with, with all of it. I'm just gonna add a couple of quick things. The first is to be kind to yourself. Um, we live in a world that is just super, super high pressure. And um, the sensation of feeling like there's stuff that you're supposed to have figured out and you don't have it figured out yet, we will put so much shame and guilt and pressure on ourselves. And that does not help anything. Yeah. Um, so if, if you're in a place where you're like, man, I just don't feel like I'm very in touch with what I what I want, let's start by deciding to be kind to ourselves. I think that's going to be a key ingredient here. And I think the second is to note, I think that people have seasons where they're very in touch with what they want and seasons where they don't. Um, and that now is not forever. Um, you know, you, I think if you follow the great advice that Lee is giving you, um, you are likely to, to see some real success out of it and get more in touch with what you do want. I also think that life goes in seasons and you may wind up down the road um, where it's like I've landed in another season where I think I'm in a good place, but I don't know what I want now. And I'm trying to figure that out. And you're going to need these yeah. skills again. I mean, um, kind of um, determining afresh what matters to you, you know, choosing to to evaluate anew your your values, your internal morality, your, the, the things that you care about, that's a lifelong skill. That's something that it's, it's worth putting in some time and some work to develop because you're probably going to need it more than once. I think that's a normal part of life. I would add two things to the things that Lee said. Um, and again, I agree with all of it. You know, um, we, we want to begin and end by being kind to ourselves. I would add in openness is something that you can cultivate within yourself. Um, 
different people, I think, naturally have different levels of openness in different arenas of life, but you can cultivate more openness than you currently have. And I think that that's a necessary thing when you don't know what you want is learning how to say yes to more things, at least on a trial basis. Um, uh, I'm not saying to say yes to things that are illegal or immoral or unethical or dangerous, but um, if it doesn't fall into one of those categories, if someone invites you to do something or to try something or to experience something, go for it. I would encourage you to to work on leaning into developing greater openness. Um, you won't be able to say yes to every single invitation that comes your way in life because I don't think anybody can do that. But I would encourage you to try and find a way. If you don't know what matters to you in the season, if you don't know what, you're, what you want, try to lean in the direction of saying yes and trying things. Um, you know, again, someone's like, you know, do you want to join my club where we do something every day for the next 10 years? That might be a no, but I'm happy to go the first time though. Um, and, and, and check it out and, and whatnot. And when you do that, a lot of the stuff that Lee described of kind of looking for that, that little ping of joy within you of like, is this resonating with me at all? Are there, are there parts of, of, um, this that are resonating with me? And honestly, I think this is really good stuff to kind of do some journaling about of actually getting it out of your head and, and writing it down of here's what I liked about this new experience that I had. Here's what I didn't like about it. Here's what felt like it was, you know, kind of resonant with me. Here's, here's what didn't. I think all this is going to help in that process of discernment, which again is a good skill to develop generally. And then the last thing that I would encourage you to look at is um, if you've not done it before, or even if you've done it in a prior season, consider talking with a counselor or a therapist. Um, there are all kinds of reasons why you'll have a season where you're not super in touch with how you feel about things and what you do and don't want. And it's not, it's not true in every case. It's not necessarily true in this case for you, but plenty of times when we're feeling anxious or burdened or concerned or, um, bothered by things that we've not yet kind of come to terms with in our brain, those things can very much get in the way of being in touch with our own desires. And having a safe place where you can kind of process through some of that and figure out what you want to do there, I think is, or can be a really good idea. If you're not sure where to begin with that process, please reach out to us. We'd love to help you figure out um, how to do that. But again, I want to land on the thing of be kind to yourself. A process of discerning what you want is not an easy thing to do. And the pressure of saying, I should have this figured out by now, that will not help. Be kind to yourself. Take things one day at a time. Take the steps that Lee described. And I think that you'll find um, all kinds of amazing avenues that are available to you and that you want to pursue. Really great stuff from both of these guys. I would <coughs> I would add to what Jed said there. There's, it's very common not to know what you want in areas of life. Here's the other thing. Pretty much nobody knows what they want in all areas of their life at the yeah. same time. That's really not how that works. So um is it's fine to not know it's also good to to try to figure out what are some things where you need more information what are some things where you need to try some options what are some things where um you have a tenable situation now like there's a big difference between i don't know what i want to do for my career long term but i have this job that pays okay and i like all right for now versus I don't know what I want to do with my career. And also I don't have a job and rent is due. These are different situations that would require the core of them is similar, but uh, they would, the next step in each of them would be significantly different and that's fine. 
and that would be a move towards the same the same goal. So uh, kindness for yourself, patience for yourself, and uh, working the problem from a number of different angles. Maybe the thing, the other thing about there is there's some situations where there's not a perfect answer. There's a couple yep, of yep. pretty good answers and maybe a few more acceptable for the time being answers. And that's fine in a lot of scenarios. Like there are certainly some things where you don't have to have the perfect answer right now. Um, you don't have face a lot of opportunity costs by picking something else. And uh, very, very few things are just a permanent thing. You can never undo if you take the job or move to the city or go to the school or whatever. Um, there's a vanishingly small number of things that are, you're just stuck for a super long amount of time. So, uh, some ideas there to hopefully help take the pressure off with that. We're going to move on to our next question. It comes in and says, what does it mean to make amends? Is that part of repentance? And I think another, a really cool t- uh, take and idea on those two concepts. Lee, where do we kick off here? This is a really good question. And, and, um, and the place that I would start on this is, you know, that the way that a lot of us who grew up in church were were taught to think about repentance in some ways was unhelpful. Um, the, the way that, the way that I was, the way that I was taught to think about repentance was when you do a bad thing, when you do a sin and you have disappointed the Lord and what you need to do is repent. And what that means is you need to feel really bad about what you've done. And then you need to turn around and never do that again and do the opposite thing. So that's kind of the, that's the vibe we got about repentance. And it turns out that repentance in the New Testament doesn't really mean that at all. It doesn't really have anything to do with feeling terrible about yourself and, you know, <clears throat> you know, wearing, you know, shame around or anything like that. Repentance, the, the, the word from the original language that we've translated repentance is, um, is actually just a word that means to change your thinking, change the way you thought. You thought a thing, and so, you know, a lot of times, we've said this on the show a million times before, but a lot of times when somebody does the wrong thing, they're, they're making their best guess as to, as to what was going to be the, the way to cope in that situation and, and, and how to face the problems that they're, that they're looking at. And we can be understanding about that. It doesn't mean it was the right choice. It doesn't mean it was the healthy thing. but most of the time people are, they're, they're kind of making their best guess. Um, and the idea of repentance in that situation is, okay, you made your best guess. What we actually need to do now is we need to look at the facts and realize that probably wasn't the best thing. We need to change the way we think about this situation. That's what repentance is about. Um, as far as the amends piece of this, um, in recovery circles, making amends is about recognizing that that the thing that I did, my behavior or my choice, it hurt someone else in my life. And acknowledging that and trying to see, is there any way that I can make that situation better? I can't undo what I did, but how can I move toward a repair in our relationship? Or how can I do something that helps you in some way, you, the person that I've hurt by my choices or my behaviors? Um, that's that's typically what folks in recovery circles will mean about making amends. And 
to give you just an example of this, you know, that, that can be a big scary thing. Cause it's like, man, well, if I hurt somebody 10 years ago by something that I said or something I did, how could I ever make that right? How could I ever do anything to, you know, to make that situation better? That sounds really terrible. It sounds like I'm just entering again into some situation where I'm going to feel bad. Well, I'll give you an example. I have a, I have a very good friend who has a very tough relationship with her dad right now. And, um, a couple of years ago, she kind of went out on a limb and I mean, things have been bad for, for a long time. Um, but she went out on a limb to basically write him a letter saying, I want you to know why things are bad between us. This is going to be difficult for you, but I want you to know what it is that you did in our relationship that has made relating so difficult over the past, you know, however many years. And, and this is because I want, I want you to hear me and I want to, you to know where I'm coming from and I want us to try again. And her dad, uh, when, when he received this letter from her, he had absolutely no openness, absolutely no interest in having any conversation, just got extremely defensive, extremely angry, and they basically don't have a relationship now. And all she was asking for was, I just want to have a conversation. I'm not asking you to find a DeLorean with a flux capacitor in it, you know, and go back in time at, you know, 88 miles per hour and redo our relationship. I'm not asking for that. Literally, all I want you to do is to hear me out. In that situation right there, making amends would have, for my friend, would have been, would you hear me out? I know it'll be difficult, but would you hear me out? This is what happened. This is the way I received it. And if, if my friend's dad could have just had the humility to say, man, this is going to be painful and it's going to be tough, but I'm going to adult super hard right here and I'm going to hear my daughter out. And I might not agree with all of it, but I care about this relationship, so I'm going to hear her out. That is what making amends would have looked like in that situation. It's, it's, it's not the traditional version of what, you know, it's, you know, it's, excuse me, it's not the actual biblical definition of what repentance looks like in the New Testament. But it is a thing of saying, I have done something that has caused someone else pain. I made a choice or I behaved in a certain way that caused someone else pain. I want to go to them and hear them out and figure out, is there something I can do to make a repair in this relationship? A great place to start that off. A lot of excellent stuff there. And Jed, where would we take it from there? No, that's, that's great stuff for sure. I think here's one of the things that is, is very, very hard. I think, honestly, for religious people of any persuasion, and, and especially for Christians, is for a lot of reasons, we don't do well with messy, variable situations. We, we really like things that are cut and dry, good or bad, right or wrong, you know, righteous or sinful. And when we get into, and so in a sense, repentance kind of fits into that rubric. I was thinking one way, now I'm thinking this other way, and, you know, wh- what, do I, what do I do? And so, you know, it, it, I, I know which box to put this in. Something that all three of us on this show have seen is we have seen people make attempts at making amends. And those go very, very poorly. Um, We've seen people try and repair relationships 
and have that have the other people have no interest in that. We've seen people try and 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 make amends and get about two steps down that road and it just absolutely explodes in the worst possible way. And I mention that to say amends are complicated. Mm. Amends are really, really complicated. Um, in fact, if you can if you can dig it right, the old the old expression has it that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And honestly, that kind of applies to to relational wounds um, as much as anything else, where uh, the real simple version is don't be awful in the first place, uh, <laughs> because it's going to be incredibly hard to repair this if you do. And, and, and low it is. And in, in point of fact, I'm going to read you something directly from Recovery Circles. Lee mentioned this, and um, this is, uh, so you've heard of 12-step recovery. This is step nine of 12-step recovery. Make direct amends uh, to the people that we've hurt wherever possible. Okay, great, got it. There's a second part, though, so hang hang with me. Make direct amends to the people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. And it's really, really interesting that that's in there because, you know, the thing about a lot of 12-step recovery is, man, this is just about what works. Like this, this isn't, you know, about trying to have a sort of magical right answer. It's just here, here's the, the shared lived wisdom of people trying to kind of unmess up their own lives and, and what has worked. And that idea of sometimes attempting to make amends is going to make everything worse. As human beings, we don't like that idea. As religious people, we hate that idea because we have been raised on Hallmark and the belief that if I just find the magic words, it's going to erase the pain and it's going to erase the past and all the bad things that I did. And unfortunately, often it does not work that way. Um, If you want to know one of the key differences between repentance and making amends, repentance is always a good idea. I can't think of a time when refining the way that you think isn't a good idea. You should constantly be refining the way that you think about everything, and so should I. Repentance is always a good idea. If you're using that actual biblical definition of of a change in the way that you think, and change is just a form of refinement, we should all be repenting all the time in every area of life, finding a better, smarter, more merciful, more loving, more godly way to think of ourselves and of others and of the world and our place in it. Repentance is always a good idea. Amends are sometimes a good idea. Sometimes. And I think one Mm. of the things, if we want to pursue amends in a way that's not going to be a tire fire, we are going to need to get a hold of some humility and a willingness to admit that we may not be able to read that situation well enough to know what is or isn't a good idea. Um, Having people, maybe that's maybe that's a, a trusted pastor, a trusted friend, if you're in recovery that may be people that are, you know, a sponsor to you that are farther along in their recovery journey. But getting some good wisdom and some good advice before we launch off on trying to make amends is something that most of us need, to be deadly honest. Um, and one of the other 12 steps is having admitted both to ourselves and to another person the exact nature of our wrongs. And that's really, really useful because it means we don't have to be afraid with talking openly to get wisdom about whether or not making amends makes sense. Um, once you've admitted the kind of jerk you were and the ways in which you were a jerk, it makes it a lot easier to get some wisdom about whether or not amends make sense. Again, you clearly need an incredibly trusted person if you're going to be admitting the exact nature of your wrongs. But like humility and wisdom do go hand in hand. And um, because... Uh, making amends is such a volatile thing. We're going to need a lot of wisdom 
to know how to approach that with the specifics of our situation. If we need a lot of wisdom, then we also need a lot of humility. So again, repentance, always a good decision. Amends, sometimes a good decision. Volatile stuff where we need wisdom and we need guidance, which means that we need humility. Excellent stuff from both of these guys there. Um, one thing I'll add was a common, not a common misconception, but a way that amends can be applied uh, wrongly by people who are trying to manipulate someone who uh, they feel should be making the amends is the idea that amends is whatever you have to do to get the other person to agree that you're no longer a bad person. Yep. And that's not helpful, not a good relationship dynamic, not healthy, not going to contribute to healing. So, um, usually not achievable either. Yeah. Usually not achievable specifically uh, for a lot of people in recovery circles, amends, if they have a good mentor or sponsor or something, it will, they will point out if you stole from someone, amends is not necessarily going back and giving the exact amount of money you stole from them. That is not the same thing. Could be something you decide is good. Could be something uh, that you, that you decide you want to do or whatever, but that's not, that's not amends. That's not, that's not altering your behavior. That's not embracing kind of being a new person. So a very important point there on that, I think. With that, we're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in and says, why is John the Baptist important? He's talked about in early chapters of the Gospels. Is this huge deal? But I don't really get why. And it is fun this time of year to track uh, the the early, early uh, books of the Gospels that people might be hearing as the preamble into the Christmas sermons and the questions that can go along with that. So I think this is a really, really good one. And Lee, where would we start off? It is cool. It's a cool question. And the thing that to put it in the simplest terms that I could think of, what I would say is, have you ever gone to a concert to see a band that you really love, but they're not the band that plays first? The band that plays first is the opener. And the opener's job is to get the crowd ready to be hyped to hear some great music. They're, they go out there to warm the room up. People come in from dinner. They come in from work. They come in from whatever week they're having. And... What happens is they go into this enclosed space, this theater or this, you know, this, this park or whatever. And, and it's kind of an an escape from their world. And all of a sudden a band comes out and starts tearing it up on stage. And they're like, I'm forgetting my old life. Now I'm at a concert now. And that's the job of the opener. The opener gets everybody ready to rock out with the headliner, the band that everybody really paid to see. John the Baptist is the opener. Jesus is the headliner. Um, in another genre's terms, John the Baptist is the hype man who announces at the beginning of the track, yo, this dude is about to come in here and tear this mic up. Get I excited. hope we're all picturing John, ba- John the Baptist's Flavor Flav right now, because I know I am. <laughs> <laughs> Just DJ Khaled, you know? It's like, yep. this is... This dude is, he comes out and he is super excited and he wants you to get excited to hear the bars that are about to get dropped. Um, in, in strict biblical terms, John the Baptist was a prophet. In the, in the culture of God's people, they were used to, their ancestors were accustomed to hearing from somebody that had a, a special relationship with God where God would give them a message. These are men, or, men and women that would speak to the people on behalf of God. And he would tell them, these are the things God wants you to know about your lives and your society and the way that God wants it to be and the way that he wants you to treat people 
and the kind of justice that he wants and the kind of heartbeat that he wants this this uh, place to have. And these are the things that you need to hear. When John the Baptist arrives on the scene, God's people had not heard from a prophet in 400 years. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist starts paving the way for Jesus, letting people know he's coming. Somebody is coming and you need to get ready. He's going to have a message and he's going to have wonders and he's going to preach and he's going to teach. And you need to, there's some things that you need to hear about yourselves before you hear this message. And the the heartbeat of John the Baptist's message was, you have some things that you massively care about. They're like mountains in your life and you need to tear those things down. And you've got some things that 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 get you low in your life and you need to fill those divots in. What we want is a we want a flat straight highway for the king of the world to come into your life and into your heart. And so I want you to get ready. So if you think about an opener, you think about a hype man, that's what John the Baptist was doing was I want you to think about some things in your life so that you're ready when you hear the message that this that Jesus is going to bring into your life. You're ready for it to lo- for you're ready for it to land. He was kind of like making a runway for the for like the the jet plane of Jesus to land in people's lives that when they heard his message when they heard his teaching they were ready and prepared to receive what it was he was going to throw down. A great place to start that off and Jed where do we pick that up? Lee has already crushed it and he's already knocked it out of the park so just a couple quick thoughts. If we approach the Bible as a historical document which is an appropriate way to approach the Bible because large, large parts of it do serve that function, then we kind of will need pretty regularly to acknowledge that there is a difference between something that was a big deal, like emotionally to the people at the time that this happened versus something that would be a big deal to me today. We need to acknowledge that because that's, that's part of onboarding history and being able to appreciate it. Let me give you an example that will, I think, make instant sense to you. One of the ways that economists study history is to look at the way that goods or services have changed in cost over time, right? And, and you know, a common way to, to look at that is to say, how much of XYZ would a day's wages buy you? Um, you know, how much cotton candy would a day's wages buy you in 1837 versus today, right? I'm, I'm an economist of cotton candy, which is the most delicious school of economics, <laughs> all right? There is a guy who um, has, you know, and he's a big deal economist, who one of his fields of study is the economics of light. Like, if it's dark out and you want there to be light, how expensive is it to source that light? And part of the reason that it's interesting is it gives us a direct window to scientific improvement through the ages. Because today, I mean, we all enjoy pretty lights, but like, Light has almost no value. It's so cheap that we don't think about the cost of it at all. Like a day's wages today buy something like 100,000 hours of illumination. I mean, that's such an enormous, absurd number that light, light is free. That's that for all the dads that were yelling about, you know, you got every light in the house on, you got to turn it off. Like functionally speaking, light is free, man. In the, in the age of LED bulbs, it doesn't cost anything. You just turn it off, right? So, Jesus talks about you are the light of the world, and I think it's, you know, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights, you know, a candle, and no one lights a lantern and puts it under a bushel basket. And I think it's easy for us to be like, yeah, oh, okay. I mean, I like, I, I track that. I, these are words that, that make sense. All right. In first century Judea, 
a day's wages bought about 10 minutes of light. Ponder that for a second. You work all day. You work hard manual labor and they give you your money at the end of the day. You're like, man, it's time for me to cash this in. People are like, you going to have some good food? You're like, no, 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 no. You have some good drinks? No, no, no. What are you going to do? 10 minutes of light. It's about to be party time, y'all. 10 minutes. All of a sudden, Jesus' statement about, you know, no one lights a lamp and then, you know, puts it under a bushel basket. Dude, if you're watching a candle literally burn through all of the work that you did today in 10 minutes, you are trying to make sure that everyone in the world can see that candle. Like, this is the most important candle of all time because I worked all day. Like, in the last 30 seconds, that was like an hour of my day. All right. We can track for, with just that example in mind, we can track the idea that when Jesus talked about being the light on the world of the world that couldn't be hidden and no one would even try to hide a light, that meant something emotionally very different to people listening to Jesus in first century Judea than it means to us today. And we kind of have to acknowledge that to recognize there is a distance that we must, as readers, go through to try and figure out what this meant to the original reader. If we want to know what it what the application is to us today, then we need to get back to a point where we try to understand at least some of what it meant to the original audience, recognizing that that is going to be imperfect. I'll give you a second one. For us today, even in the United States, where there's a lot of poverty, actually, and there's a lot of food insecurity, you are unlikely to starve to death in the United States. Um, you know, food insecurity works pretty differently than, than that here. Famine and extreme hunger were very commonplace in first century Judea. This was a very, very common thing. So if you had like a celebrity preacher that could out of a magic lunch bag feed 5,000 people, this was not like a parlor trick. This was like a big deal. This was like life and death that a, a person could, could do this. This was incredible, right? And so the more that we can dig into what did this mean to the people of the day, not that we need to gin up a, an emotional response in ourselves, but actually really to the contrary, the more that we can admit, I don't know what this would have been like for them, but I, I want to try and understand what this would have been like for them so that I can get back to what this meant. One of the beliefs at the time was that some kind of messenger had to come before the Messiah would arrive. There, there had to be. So like, if we've not even had the messenger yet, then there's, there's no worries about, about anything else. Like there's, you know, God's basically been silent and there's nothing going on. And there was a ton of expectation about that arriving. And so there was, um, the idea that, that something was moving in that, that was, that was a, a very, very big deal. And that takes us back to exactly where he started us of like, we're, think about, if you've ever been in a concert that's late getting started, and some concerts are very, very late getting started, when that opener finally comes on and starts making some noise, like there's this huge sense of anticipation and relief and excitement and like, oh, dude, finally, it's, it's go time. And yeah. I think as a person who didn't live in first century Judea, I'm, I'm uh, looking uh, through a glass darkly. But I think it was something like that where a very, very, very long wait for something to finally happen, and then something did. Mm. Yeah, I think great stuff from both these guys. It kind of goes back to something we were talking about in the previous episode where uh, the religious people of the day had Jesus in front of them and did not uh, recognize it. 
and there's there's an aspect of that in in the John the Baptist story too, I think, because uh weird guy, to put it mildly, uh living in the living out in the wilderness, eating the bugs and whatnot, hair shirts, the whole uh preaching a fair amount of uh of doom and gloom in a very literal sense. Um, but I think one of the interesting things to me about John the Baptist is he was for all the bombast, a guy who had a role to play. Yep. And we don't get to see all of it. Um, he sends a lot of his followers became Jesus's first followers, which is an interesting thing as far as, you know, things that are prepared for the Messiah. But, you know, he, he gets the great line of in, in John chapter one of behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He recognized who Jesus was. And then, and this is a very interesting thing that happens in a lot of the new Testament for a while, nothing happened. Literally in the story, like Jesus didn't kick anything off, no revolution, no, uh, no ascension, no nothing. So John kind of baptizes him against his better wishes. He tells Jesus, you're the one who should be baptizing me. And then he kind of does his thing for a little while and he sends some of his followers to ask Jesus. So no, you, are you who we think you are or what's going on there? And then these guys transfer over to Jesus or told, you know, come and see. And John, uh, the, the story ends the way it does. But I think there's a lot of interesting stuff about a really weird dude who had a role to play in the kingdom. That was not necessarily what he thought it would be or anyone else would thought it would be, but it ended up being really important in a way that even for those of us who have the whole of the story to look at still can't really comprehend, but Jesus is very clear that this was an important person doing important things for the kingdom, even though it really didn't look that way on the surface to almost anyone. So, um, a bit of a mysterious figure in a lot of ways, but I think there's, there's something to be learned even from that. And certainly a lot of great stuff to be learned from what these guys gave you. So we will leave it there. If you have a question for us, say that podcast, gmail.com, the bridge, Take it out with another Christmas song. This is Lee's version of I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Thanks for listening to this movie. God loves you. There's nothing to do about it.